Before I read the passage, I just want to say again, thank you for having us. And this is an incredibly warm um, and friendly body. So thank you so much for having us here. I'm going to read from Psalm 96. Uh, Y'all are in a series on the Psalms, and Psalm 96 is the one that I chose. So listen to the reading of God's Word. It says this, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him, strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad, let the earth Rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your good word to us that you've given to us. And love. Um, pray now that you would uh, help us to hear uh, what you have for us and help my uh, own mind and meditations be pleasing to you, Lord. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So I want to imagine yourself in a pre modern era right now. And you're in the dark. <laughs> you don't have a flashlight. And you don't have a cell phone screen to help you find your way in the dark. <laughs> Uh, you can't see what's before you. You can't see what's behind you. You, you don't know what obstacles might be laying in your way. In, in a real sense, you are disoriented to your surroundings. Now that word, orient, the root word, uh, when we think of that word, we think of oriental, probably the east. But the root of that word actually means this. It means rising, So again, consider yourself in that situation, completely disoriented to your surrounding, what lies around you, and to what happens. The sun rises. And at that point, you're oriented, you're reoriented to what lies ahead of you, what lies behind you, what obstacles might be in your way. You see, in a very real way, what we do here on Sundays, the Lord's Day, is a reorientation of our lives back to God. (laughs) The sun rises on us, and we know now what lies, remember what lies behind us, what lies before us, what obstacles might be there. And so worship is a reorientation of our hearts back to who God is and who we are in light of that. And so during the worship service, we actually do a bunch of different things in the liturgy that help reinforce this. So we have a call to worship at the very beginning which reorients us to the fact that we don't just come in here just trying to get God to 
you know, pay attention to us. No, God calls us to worship Him. He calls us from His Word to come in and worship Him. We have prayers which reorient us to the fact that God is a loving Father who wants to listen to both the, the concerns, the confessions of His people. We have the offering which reorients us to the fact that God has given us all everything that we own. He is the owner of all things, and we are only merely returning to Him a small portion of what He has given us. We have the Scripture reading and the sermon, which reorients us to the fact that God is speaking to us, and His Word is living and active. And we have the Lord's Supper, which we'll do later, which reorients us to the fact that God has made a way for us to be in His presence. That it's only by the broken body and the spilt blood of Christ that we can come in here at all. But why do we sing? <laughs> it's kind of a funny thing that Christians do. We get together and we sing some songs together. There's not many places you do that anymore besides maybe a football game. Why isn't preaching or prayers enough for us? And why does God actually command us to sing? Over 50 times in Scripture, He tells us to sing, even in this psalm. And why is He giving us the Psalter that y'all are looking at? The largest book in the body that's a, a the song book of the people of Israel. And now the song, people, song book of the church in many ways. Why? Well, we're going to look at that in this sermon. Three points. The purpose of our singing the power of our singing, and the promise of our singing. So first, the purpose. And there are a lot of purposes to our singing, but I'm going to give us three from this passage. There's an upward purpose, there's an inward purpose, and there's an outward purpose. The upward purpose is is this. The psalmist is calling out to the people of God to respond. It's a responsive thing. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation day of day. Why are they to sing to the Lord? Because of His great salvation and love that He has shown towards them. And so our singing is the only proper response we have. It's this engaging of our whole bodies, of our whole wills, our whole minds back to God. And the psalmist is a reminding of them to sing to the Lord. And why do we use music? Well, music is one of those funny things in which everything is engaged in us at the same time. It's a wholly engaging activity in which our minds are engaged as we think about the words we're singing. Our bodies are engaged as we sing and our our vocal cords are moving. Our, Our wills are being engaged as we are being shaped with new desires. Our longings our emotions, all of these things are involved in singing. (laughs) And so we get to bring all of that to God. God desires for us to bring all of ourselves in worship, not just the happy parts, (laughs) the hard parts as well. And we get to do that in worship as well. And this is a big part of my story and why I am doing RUF, is actually once I uh, went to RUF at Belmont, I I realized that they weren't singing just um, one type of song, they were singing songs that really dealt with a grand emotional uh, scale. (laughs) Songs like, Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul. (laughs) And I thought, we can sing that? (laughs) 
I can say that out loud. But God desires for us to bring all of that to Him. And it's all a response to His goodness and grace to us. So there's an upward purpose, but there's also an inward purpose. It talks about families of the people, because what this means is that our seeing actually builds community. Think of it as a construction tool. It's like mortar between bricks that, that bind us together. It's not just an expressive personal thing that we're doing, but it's a formative thing. It's forming us into a body. Listen to how Paul talks about it in Colossians 3. He says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. He says that we are singing to God with gratitude in our hearts, but we're also doing something else. We're teaching and admonishing one another with these songs. So in a sense, what we're doing is we're singing to one another. <laughs> Believe this. Believe that this is true. We'll see things like, let us love and sing and wonder. Or come, let us adore him. We are singing together. Now for some of you, you love that part of the service. You like live for it. You're ready to sing every single week. And some of you, not so much. But singing is actually a, it pictures, it envisions what it looks like to be in a body in unity. As we sing together these songs. That's why we sing songs of both joy and sorrow. Because <laughs> there's some people in this room who are in really good places right now. And you're joyful and you're thankful for, for where you are and what God has done in your life. And some of you are in really hard places right now. And so we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep <laughs> as we sing these songs. And it forms us as a body. So there's an inward purpose. But finally, there's an, there's an outward missional purpose to our singing, which we see in verses 3 and 4 especially. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. The psalmist is saying, go out. <laughs> Tell of this to anyone who will listen. Believer, unbeliever alike, listen to who my God is. And there's an underlying principle here, which is this. You will praise the thing that you love. We even have a phrase for it, singing its praises. So you went to the new restaurant down the, town, down the road. You come back and you had a great meal and then he or she is just singing its praises. It's just a great restaurant. Now there are a couple things that I sing the praises of. Um, one of them is music. I love music. One reason I'm at, I'm at UNT is because I love music and uh, enjoy it so much. I, I love to listen to, to new things and explore different things and tell my wife about it and tell my students about it. That's one of the things that I just love to talk about. The other thing that I really enjoy to sing the praises of is baseball. <laughs> baseball is a far better sport than football. <laughs> In every way, it's a far better sport than football. It doesn't compare to football. I know I'm getting in trouble in, in a Texas room here. 
But it's far better. The, the history is better. The, the statistics are better. The, uh, the, the whole strategy of the game is better. Everything about baseball is better than football. <laughs> now I'm in, a, in a joking sense, I'm doing what, what the psalmist is doing. He's saying, in every way, my God is far better than these worthless idols. Far better than these other gods. In every single way, far better. Doesn't even compare. Greater than these worthless idols. But we have to do this. We have to claim this because the problem with us is this weekly reorientation is necessary because we forget that. Week after week. We walk out of this room and we forget that our God is greater than these worthless idols. Even as Steve was saying this morning. And this is where the power of our singing has to come in. Is that these other gods, these other small g gods are always vying for our affections. They're always vying for our attention. They're always trying to captivate us or take us captive. And they don't do it necessarily through our minds. They do it through our hearts, <laughs> through our affections. They're wanting us to love something else, to reorientation, reorient us towards that. So, for example, commercials. <laughs> There's a commercial this last Christmas. I remember it was, I think it was a Mercedes commercial. And the commercial begins with this little boy waking up on Christmas Day and running to the window to look outside and see if his Mercedes is out on the, the driveway, which is kind of funny if you think about it, but that's what he's hoping for. But a few years go by, it shows the same scene. He wakes up on Christmas Day, runs to the window, and no, it's still not there. And it keeps going, and he's a teenager, it's still not there. Finally, he's He's a, an adult with his wife and his child, and he wakes up on Christmas, and he runs to the window, and there it is. He's finally got his Mercedes, all that he's been wishing and longing and hoping for his whole life. But what's funny about the commercial is what they don't tell you, which is this. They don't tell you the miles per gallon. <laughs> they don't tell you the, the crash test rating. They don't even show you the inside of the car. You see, what they're selling you on is not through your mind, but through your heart. Your longings, your desires, your nostalgia even. Ways to get to your heart and lure you away subtly. And that's what these other gods are always constantly doing. If I have that car, maybe I'll finally be okay. If I have that approval of that one person or that boss or that friend, then maybe I'll finally be okay. If my kids will, will just fall in line and behave that I, I want them the way I want them to do, maybe I'll be okay. If my checking balance is at this, this, this perfect amount, or maybe just a little bit more, then maybe I'll finally be okay. But the problem with the lure of these other gods is that they always take Always want more. Take, take, but they never deliver on their promises. Ed Welch, uh, writer, puts it this way. He says, either we will love and serve God or we will love and serve our idols. Idols exist in our lives because we love them and invite them in. But once idols find a home, they are unruly and resist leaving. In fact, they change from being the servants of our desires to becoming our masters. 
And eventually what we find is that we are reorienting our lives around those things and not reorienting around God anymore. We reorient our lives around our kids, around our job, or around our finances. And everything we do now is in service to them. So what what do we need? We need a new power. We need, as one uh, Puritan put it, we need the expulsive power of a new affection. We need to go to war with these idols. (laughs) You know, in every age, there are these protest songs that that people write. Uh, In fact, during the Vietnam Vietnam War, one of the most famous ones was by Bob Dylan, called Masters of War. And this is what he wrote. He said, Come, you masters of war, you that build all the guns, you that build the death planes, you that build all the bombs, you that hide behind walls, you that hide behind desks. I just want you to know I can see through your masks. You know what? Worship songs are protest songs. Because what we're saying is, I can see through your masks. You are not going to fulfill me. My God created the heavens. My God alone is worthy of worship. My God, O oh Lord, is, is worthy of glory and strength and the honor due His name. Only He should be worshipped in the splendor of holiness. Only He should be trembled before. How does this practically work out in our lives? Some of you are going to go back to demanding jobs tomorrow. Really difficult jobs. Really high-stress jobs. And the lure that is going to come is this lure and reorientation of prestige, of reputation. And what that's going to take and want to take from you is going to cause busyness, excessive busyness, perhaps compromising of certain things, um, perhaps neglect of family and friends. And so you need to come again into this service and you need to sing and remind yourself of who God is. Or you sing a, a song like, Jesus, I my cross have taken, which reminds us that Christ left his reputation behind. He left his prestige behind. He left his, even his friends, when they left him, he came that we might know that. Let the world despise and leave me. They have left my Savior too. Human hearts and looks deceive me. Thou art not like them untrue. Friends, foes may hate and friends disown me. Show thy face and all is bright. Even if all leave you, you have Christ. Maybe you're in a place of waiting or disappointment or frustration. And you're tempted to doubt God's goodness and provision in your life. Will you come into this place and you sing a song like, Come thou fount of every blessing. All blessings come from him. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. That you are gracious to me. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Or maybe you are racked with shame. Even as we talk about these things. And you think to yourself, I need to pay, somehow pay for these sins. Well, you come in here and you sing a song. There is a fountain filled with blood. 
drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Christ died for you, that you might plunge in his blood and be cleansed, even in your deepest shame and brokenness and sin. See, that's the power of our singing week after week. But finally, there's a, a promise to our singing. And in a sense, it's a surprising promise to many of us. And it's in verses 10 through 13. So say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. He goes on to say that the heavens are going to be glad and the field and the trees and all these things are going to be shouting for joy. For what? For he comes to judge the earth. See, judgment is this promise of our singing. This is the hope of our singing. Now, how could that be? For If you're like me, many of us think of judgment and we think of anger and wrath and terrifying and, and how in the world could that be a motivator to sing? How could that be good news for us this morning? Well, Paul actually picks up on this theme in Romans 8. He talks about how, actually, it's the whole world is longing for this judgment. He says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The whole creation is groaning with a long for freedom. Freedom from the bondage and the brokenness and the injustice that it's experiencing. And you too are groaning for this. You too are longing for this judgment because you are longing to be free from your idols, from your sins, from the injustice that we see in the world around us, from the brokenness, from the rank racism that we see, from the mass shootings that we see. You are longing for that and I am longing for that and the world is longing for that. We root for justice to be restored and we want it. That's why every other movie that comes out is a superhero movie. It's this longing for a hero to come rescue things from brokenness and, just, and injustice. One pastor put it this way. In a world of systematic injustice, bullying, violence, arrogance, and oppression, the thought that there might come a day when the wicked are firmly put in their place and the poor and weak are given their due is the best news there can be. Faced with a world in rebellion, a world full of exploitation and wickedness, a good God must be a God of judgment. Now one place that I remember vividly this idea of judgment and singing come together was a few years ago uh, during the shooting in the Charleston, the church in Charleston. You remember this, Dylan Roof went into African-American Episcopal Church and shot and killed nine members in there for a Bible study. And I remember the whole, uh, 
so much in the nation was grieving and, and wondering why in the world could this happen. And, uh, I remember watching the news cycles, and in particular, this one uh, news cycle watching this uh, news reporter report on the arraignment of Dylan Roof outside of the courthouse. And he, as he was standing there, he was talking about the situation. He was explaining what he saw, which was this. He saw the friends and the family and, and the church members and other people come to the arraignment, come to the courthouse, and they weren't protesting with signs. They weren't picketing with signs, which they had every right to. What they were doing, he said, and he started crying. He said, they're singing. They're singing gospel songs. They're standing outside of this courthouse and they're singing gospel songs. How could they do that? How? How could they go on to forgive Dylan Roof? Tim Keller puts it this way. He said, The reason why the African American church could forgive in Charleston was because those were formative countercultures where people hear every week about a man who died for his enemies. So you sing about that. You think about that. You pray, and so it's in you. You see, they could sing, they could forgive because they knew that Christ on the cross said this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That even in our worst sin towards God, He comes towards us with forgiveness. And the sins that we so deserve, that we so committed, the judgment that we so deserve, fell on Christ on the cross. You see, and if Christ took your judgment, your judgment has already passed. He's actually borne it for you. Which means this, that we can look forward to the future judgment. We can sing with hope and expectation because Christ and His second coming will make all things new. He will restore all things. He will put away with the sin and the brokenness that we see in the world around us. Then in Christ, He will restore all things and make all things new. And so that hope should make us sing, should make us want to sing. Does it make you want to sing? Knowing that your judgment has passed, that Christ has borne that on your behalf and that He will come again and restore all things. This should make us want to sing. And if it does, then join with the psalmist. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Maybe you don't feel that now though. Maybe you're in a place of dryness or despondency or difficult place. I tell you the same thing actually. Sing. Sometimes we have to sing in order to believe. To feel it. To know it. To get it deep inside of us. Like Keller said. I'm going to close with this illustration. In, uh, there was a man named Baklav Havel. And in 1989, he became... Uh, well, a few years before that, he, he became the, uh, the president of the Czech Republic. And the Czech Republic was a communist uh, nation before that. But he led, uh, he was a poet and a playwright, what was called the Velvet Revolution, which was this nonviolent, 
overthrow and revolution of the communist government. So they asked him later on, how in the world did your revolution work when so many other revolutions didn't? And he said this. (laughs) He said, we had our parallel society. And in that parallel society, we wrote our plays and sang our songs and read our poems until we knew the truth so well that we could go to the streets of Prague and say, we don't believe your lies anymore. And communism had to fall. See, that's what we do every single week. We come in here as a parallel society and we sing our songs and we read the scriptures and we, we, we see the Lord's Supper. We participate in these activities so we can get this so deep in our hearts so we can go back into the world and say, we don't believe these lies anymore. And we can actually love and serve the God that has loved and served us.